Thank you, God, for your word, which sustains us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. When I was with Buzz, uh, uh, I asked him if he wanted to read some, some scripture, so I started, uh, he said, yeah, I read a psalm. So I read, I started reading Psalm 23, and he started quoting it with me, you know. And then uh, I said, well, let's read Psalm 91. So I started reading Psalm 91, and he started quoting it with me. You know, um, scripture, when you, when you not just read it, but when you ingest it, let it dwell deep inside of you, plant it deep inside of your heart and your soul and your mind. It can be so sustaining in moments of distress. And I asked him, I said, Buzz, you know, uh, how are you feeling? Are there anything that you need or anything like that? And he said, you know, I just want to be able to go see Jesus. I just want to be able to go and see my Jesus. And it was so encouraging. That's, brothers and sisters, that's what we need. We need the implanting of the word of God deep in our hearts and our souls um, that when times of difficulty come, that's what can sustain us through those moments. So let's turn now to the Word of God. Let's go there together. As we read, we're finishing up the book of Philippians. And uh, in chapter 1 in Philippians, so many weeks ago, Paul began his letter by saying that some might preach Christ out of falsehood. But this is what he says. He says, The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And in chapter 2, he writes, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I will be glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me too. In chapter 3, he writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And in this past week, as Debbie was preaching, Paul wrote to us at the beginning of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Uh, Many versions have rejoice. Some versions have be glad. I like the NLT. The NLT says be full of joy. Rejoice, always be full of joy. And joy is different than happiness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is how to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. And Paul has a very clear understanding, the very tight understanding of how exactly he's able to rejoice in his given circumstances, and that's what we're going to be exploring today. So as we go to the Bible, uh, we're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 to you. This is what he says. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. It's interesting because when we read this passage, I think our minds subconsciously only hear half of Paul's message. We only hear half of his message, right? The message seems plain enough that Paul has learned in whatever circumstances he's found himself in to be content uh, and to rejoice, right? And so many wonderful sermons have been preached on this passage, and they've started off by setting up Paul's situation. He's in prison, right? This is what we've talked about the whole time. He's in prison. All of his ministry is now ground to a halt. 
He had a lot of reputation, a lot of prestige, a lot of ability to move around the world and, and preach and plant churches and establish communications. And now that's all stopped. He's in a prison, right? And not only that, but uh, we find out here in the book of Philippians that if Paul hadn't received uh, this gift that the Philippian church had sent him, he might have actually starved to death. In the, early, uh, in the ancient world, prisons didn't provide meals for their prisoners. If you didn't have people coming and feeding you, you would die in prison. Um, this is why also in Jesus talks about uh, what he wants his disciples to do. He says in Matthew 25, you came and visited me in prison. And it's not just because it's nice to see people. It's actually because if you didn't come and visit people in prison and bring them food, they would die. And Paul here is thanking the Philippians for the gift that they have given him. And so we set this up as Paul is in a desperate situation. And yet he's learned to be content. And I think that's a nice way to go for it. Um, and that's, there's some great sermons that I've heard on that. But that's only half the story. That's only half of what Paul is describing here. And I want to spend just a second talking about the other half. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We're often awed by Paul's ability to be content in desperate situations, but what about his ability to be content when things are going well for him? What about his ability to be content when he's full? And I think the assumption we have is, well, if you're a full naturally you're content. But I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, this last week, actually, when I was going and visiting Buzz, I drove down the hill, and as I was driving down the hill, I looked into our lower parking lot, and there was two guys going through our dumpster. Apparently, we had forgotten to lock the dumpster. So there was a couple guys going through our dumpster. So I took, pulled the Yui, came back up, parked the car, went out there, and I, brought, so I got some food that we have. There's a donation box in the back if you want to donate some food. So I grabbed some food from there, and we had a couple apples downstairs in the fridge. I brought those out to the guys. And I just said, hi, you know, how are you doing? I could tell right away, you know, they were, the, the, the tension was heightened a bit, right? Somebody's coming from the church. They're expecting I'm going to call the cops, you know, kick them off the property, that kind of thing. So they were very, very happy to receive some food. And, uh, you know, they'd gotten some, some cans out of the trash that we had forgotten about and accidentally thrown away. So they're very good at, they can find those cans. And so they got some cans out of there and, I got to talk with him for a little bit, and, and uh, talking with one guy, I believe his name was Paul, and I just, I just, you know, talking about his life, and he said, you know, he said about a year and a half ago, he, the way he described it, he said, I got a taste of freedom, you know. He said, I don't understand how, how people, you know, live uh, day to day, you know, you got all these, you got bills, you got a house, you got to pay all these things, and day to day, and now I feel like I'm free from all of that. So here's a guy who's who knows what it means to be content with little, but hasn't been able to figure out how to be content with much. Hasn't figured out how to be content with much. Yeah? And also, we know, on the other side of the spectrum, there's many, many, many wealthy people for whom we would think, wow, that's, naturally they would be content. Right? Naturally they would be content with their wealth. Full people are content, right? But not necessarily so. Once you achieve wealth, once you gather wealth, now you spend your whole life trying to keep it, trying to hoard it, trying to protect it from others, trying to keep it to yourself. And you constantly have your eyes on the next horizon, 
right? You're always thinking about the next trip, the next deal, the next thing that's coming up. And so even wealthy people are not content with their situation. All this to say we need to find out how to be content. And I know I'm using kind of extremes here, but the reality is that sometimes even in our own lives we are not content. The problem is, no matter if you're rich or you're poor, no matter where you are, even in this room, if you allow your joy to be driven by your circumstances, you will always be a slave to your circumstances. I'll say that again. Give you time to write it down. If you allow your joy to be driven by your circumstances, you will always be a slave to your circumstances. In other words, if what is going on around you is the thing that is providing for your contentment, you will fight, you will work, you will be a slave until everything around you is set up exactly how you feel like it should be. But brothers and sisters, what happens so often is once that occurs, suddenly we see that the grass is greener on the other side. There's something missing from the equation. There's some circumstance that is missing. Right? I actually need an extra room in my house. I actually need a little bit more in this area. And so even then, we're, we're not content. Paul's message is that there's got to be something deeper. There's got to be something running underneath circumstances. Something that goes deep, a deep, deep water that we can access. There has to be something else that sustains us during that time. Thanksgiving's coming up. For some people, Thanksgiving is, is a joyous occasion. We're going to have some family in town. We're looking forward to that. They're coming in town on Tuesday. And actually, Amy's dad, who's a worship pastor down in uh, California, is going to be leading worship for us next week. So we're excited about that. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Um, and for us, uh, Thanksgiving can be a time of great rejoicing. It's for a lot of people. For other people, it's not. For other people, it's a, a time of great sorrow. Uh, we we're just hearing about people who have lost loved ones. And what does Thanksgiving mean in that context, the joy of the Lord needs to remain sustaining both, sustaining your life underneath the circumstances of your life. Right? It runs insulated from our circumstances under the surface. We need to learn what it means to be content in times of plenty and in times of want. And so Paul's words here, and we're going to get into actually really looking at verse 13 and 14. Paul's words here kind of provide a, a road map for how to do this, for how to live our lives in this manner. Right? So we need to listen to him. He says, whether full or hungry or having plenty or poor, I can endure all these things. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Another version says, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. So there's three things. They're not going to be on the screen, so you've got to write them down if you want to keep them. Or you can remember them. There's three things, or you can look online at the sermon afterwards. There's, there's other ways. There's other ways. There's three things I want to talk about. Number one, Paul acknowledges that his strength does not come from himself. Paul acknowledges that his strength does not come from himself. He's not discovering contentment within himself all along, right? Like Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz. What I've been searching for all along was right here. I just had to look inside. I just had to look down and find it in myself. He hasn't attained enlightenment 
A big difference between Buddhism and Christianity is that Buddhism teaches, if you would like, you can find enlightenment. Detach yourself from all things. Search inside yourself. You will find it there. And in Christianity, it's sort of like, nah. No, you're not going to find it there. There's, I'm sorry. There's nothing inside of there. There's nothing inside of here that you're going to find that's going to be able to sustain you. There's got to be something outside of yourself. There's got to be someone outside of yourself that can sustain you in all things. It's not inside, it's outside of you. Right? So that's number one. Number one, Paul acknowledges that his strength doesn't come from himself. Number two, Paul names the source of his strength. He names the source of his strength. Number one, he says, it's not me. And number two, he says, I'll tell you who it is. Right? In Greek here, uh, with a phrase, can you put that verse 13 back up there? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul does something very interesting here uh, in Greek. So from him down to strength, that's one word. That's one word. And, and the way that Paul does it, he, he uses a verb, okay? and he does this all the time. He, he does what's called a substantival participle. Turn to your neighbor and say, substantival participle. You did it. That's going to that's gonna win you on Jeopardy sometime. Substantival participle. That's when you take a verb and you turn it into a noun. You take a verb and you, you nounify it. All right? You take a verb and you transform it into a noun. So the, the verb he's using is the verb to strengthen or to make able or to reinforce. Right? If this chair here was broken, and there was something broken about it, and I came through and I, I uh, put a splint on it, or I, I put something on there to strengthen it, I, I strengthened it. I purposely altered it so that it was able to do the thing that it was meant to do, which is to stand upward, stand upright. All right? It's been strengthened. That's what, that's what the verb means. So what Paul is saying is not just God gives me strength, he's saying the one who strengthens, the strengthening one. He's a strengthening one. Literally, Paul says, I can do all things through the strengthening me one. The strengthening me one. God isn't just a nice guy who likes to help us out every once in a while. He is the embodiment of strengthening. He's the strengthening one. So number one, Paul acknowledges my strength does not come from myself. Number two, Paul names the one who strengthens him. Number three, Paul doesn't neglect the Philippians. Now, we often do. Uh, it's funny because this is something I think that's unique. When I, when I first came here and I was talking to another pastor in the area, and one pastor, I can't remember who it was, who said, you know, this might be the most individualistic area of the most individualistic region of the most individualistic country in the world that you're going to. Right? We pride ourselves on our self-sustainment, right? If you don't believe me, just talk to any prepper in the room, because I know you're here, right? I can do it. I can, I can have everything that I need in myself, right? I can sustain myself. And when Paul writes here in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we stop it usually right there. But let's look at verse 14. Yet it was good of you, to share in my troubles. 
I don't care if you have God on speed dial. I don't care if you and God have a secret handshake. I don't care if you and God have figured everything out. You need other people around you. The Christian walk is never, ever meant to be lived out in solitude. You need people around you. And so often we quote verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and we neglect verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you, neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I know. (laughs) Some of your neighbors left. I apologize. You need them too. You need them too. Let's move on. Let's keep on going. All right, so the three points are, number one, Paul says, I don't find the strength in myself. Number two, he names the person who strengthens him. And number three, he acknowledges other people. He acknowledges the Philippians as well. Let's move on. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 15 through 20. Here we go. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift. I'm not looking for a gift. What I'm looking for is that what I'm looking for is that you may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm not hoping for a gift, says Paul. I'm not hoping, not hoping that you give me a gift. I'm not saying these things because I want you to, you know, I want you to send me more money. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is what I'm, what I'm looking for, what I'm seeking, what I'm hoping, what I'm desiring. What I want to see is that something is credited to your account. I want a profit to accumulate in your account. There's two basic movements of the Christian faith. The first one is what we were just talking about, is contentment. And what I mean by that is the first one is we live our lives scattered. We live our lives pursuing every sort of uh, shiny thing in the universe. We live our lives uh, driven, like Paul said a few weeks ago, driven by the God of our stomach. What can I get out of life? You know, Advancing my own position. And so there comes a time when we give up on that. There comes a time when we as Christians realize that that pursuit is meaningless. We realize that that pursuit was never going to give us what we actually needed, what we actually felt like we, we needed at our souls. And so the first movement of the Christian faith is contentment. Where we come to Christ and we say, only you, Lord. Only you. You are the only one who can content me. You are the only one who can give me what I need. And so we come to Christ and we allow God to take our lives. We say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of doing it with my own way. I want to start doing it your way. I want to start doing it a different way. And so we build up this relationship, this discussion with God, and we begin to walk a journey with God. That's the first movement of the Christian faith. There's a second movement. The second movement is we begin to bear fruit. The second movement of the Christian faith is that what we do in our lives begins to reflect not only our beliefs, but our deepest held connections and values to Christ. It's action. 
And they have to go together. See, if the Philippians had not been content, if the Philippians had been hoarding, if the Philippians had been looking at their meager resources and saying, we have to keep this and defend this, and we need to uh, keep this around because it's going to sustain us. If they hadn't reached true contentment yet, they never would have been able to step out in action and give to Paul what was going to sustain his life, what was going to sustain his ministry. So they have to move together. Brothers and sisters, if your soul is not at rest in the Lord, do not step out into ministry. Don't do it. I don't even want you in ministry until your soul is at rest in the Lord because people who go into ministry without their soul being at rest are going to constantly look to the people around them and the accomplishments of their ministry to feed the ambition of their own soul, to feed their own contentment. They're going to be looking to their circumstances. I did youth ministry for a few years, man. I tell you, youth ministry is difficult to do. It is hard to do. This is how usually youth ministry goes. The first year is great. A lot of kids come into your youth group. You know, you got some new and exciting things going on. Uh, You're reaching out. You're making connections. By the second year, there's another youth group that opened up somewhere else in town. And all the youth end up over there, right? And you're left with three, four, five people that you're getting together with once a week, and you start to ask yourself, man, why am I even doing this? If you look to the circumstances of your life to define your success, to define your contentment, you will always be a slave to those circumstances. And all of a sudden, all you can think about is, how can I get more kids to come to my youth group? All of a sudden, you're doing things that maybe are compromising some of your values because you know the kids would like it, right? All of a sudden, you're being driven by a need for their presence to to secure something inside of yourself, to tell you something about, yes, I am doing right, I am doing okay. Brothers and sisters, if we are not content in our own souls, we cannot minister effectively to others. That needs to be priority one. So find Jesus. Find contentment in him. Get alone with God. Find peace. Find joy. Find that river that you can tap into that goes below your circumstances. And then when you, when you are leading into ministry, then when you are going into places to minister to other people or pray with other people, you'll go there not with a sense that I need them to react in a certain way to affirm me. You'll go there in a sense of I want to discover what God is already doing. I want to discover what God's doing and link up with that. And I will be content so long as I can do what God is doing here. That's what we need to be. That's where we need to be as people, as a church, as ministers. That's what we need to do. If money, if reputation, if any of those things have a claim to your life, you'll never want to part with them. You'll hold on to them as tightly as you possibly can. Not even God himself will be able to take them away from you. Because you will so desire that. Right? Jesus comes to people and he says, follow me. Right? Matthew is sitting at a tax collector's booth. He's got a good job. Probably one of the best jobs in the first century that he could get. Right? Good money. Good stable income. You could really build a future on that. You could build a future for your children on that. Jesus is walking it says, walking by the sea, and he sees Matthew. And he looks at Matthew and he says, hey, come follow me. And he says, Matthew gets up. 
and he follows Jesus. That's the movement that we need. That's the sort of movement that we need in our own lives. So when we hear the call of God, we get up and we follow him. Disregarding all else. Just give me Jesus. You give me Jesus and I'll have enough. You give me Jesus and I'll be content. We need that in our own lives. If we don't have that, then whenever God asks us to step out in faith, we'll always hold back a bit. And as leaders, we need to move confidently into the future that God has called us to. Today, I think that in our world, in our society, in our culture, we're so obsessed with the right, the just, the good things, the true things of life. But we neglect the vine that produces those things. We want the fruit of the vine. We want God to move in miraculous ways, but we refuse to acknowledge where the fruit comes from. We refuse to cultivate the vine itself. We refuse to get back to our basics and build into a relationship with God. But the truth is that we will never receive the fruit, we'll never receive the joy, never receive the goodness that God has for us if we don't first cultivate our relationship, cultivate our peace, cultivate our contentment with the presence of God. And so here Paul says, what I desire, what I long for, what I want, this is what I want, guys. I don't want your money, really. I appreciate your money so much. It's been very helpful, but that's not what I want. What I want is that something's added to your account, is that something builds up inside of you. You start to cultivate something. That's what I want. The money is simply, should be a, simply a symptom of something else that's occurring, a first work that's going on. Did you know what God wants? Have you ever thought about that? What does God want? You know, sometimes I go to God all the time and I say, this is God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I'm looking for. This is, God, I really want you to do this or I only want you. How many times do we say, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want from, from this whole thing? What do you want? Would you like to know what God is looking for? God searched the entire earth. He searches all over, and all he desires, all he wants is your heart. All he wants is you. His whole mind is fixed on you. Since creation, when we first broke off this, this closeness with God through sin, since that moment until now, he's been searching, looking, probing, trying to get closer to you. He sent the law in an attempt to sort of build up our relationship. He sent prophets in an attempt to kind of get our attention and say, hey, we need to be closer to God. We need to start following his ways more. We need to track a little bit closer to him. And finally, God sends his own son. God, God's self in human form to us because he desires you. He's been searching for you. He's been probing and looking. If you want to know what God wants, God wants your heart. That's what he's after. I don't, I, I don't think that often enough I acknowledge and search for the things that God wants. There's only one message in Scripture. I, I was talking, we were, we're doing a few, uh, we have a few people kind of building up as preachers among us. Uh, Debbie's one of them, and there's a few others that you're going to see in the next few months, I think, get up and preach. And uh, as we were getting together, we were talking about preaching. What is preaching? And, 
And I said to them, I said, there's really only one message in the Bible. I mean, you can go to any verse, you can go to any, you can cover a lot of topics, but there really is only one message in Scripture. And that is that God, through Christ, is reconciling the world to himself. That's it. That's all. That's what God is interested in. He's interested in reconciling the world to himself. And you want the peace of God, you want the truth of God, you want the justice of God, you want God to be infused in the structures of society. That's all good. That's all fine. But would you like to know what God wants? God wants you. And brothers and sisters, we could build a very just society. But if we don't have God, if God doesn't have us, we're looking for the fruit, but we're not tending to the vine that sustains the fruit. Are you with me? Good. That's what we're after. So put aside competitiveness. Put aside anxiety. If you can, put every thought on God. His holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his loveliness, his kindness. Let that be the rhythm of your life. Whatever those things are, put your mind on them. Lock into them. And once you've achieved that, then that's when we start to have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. We start to lay down our own power just as Christ laid down his power. We start to want to serve other people, not out of a a way to affirm us, but simply because God in Christ has begun to serve us. And so we want to reciprocate. We want to do it as well. Then we'll be able to truly say, Beloved, I have learned the secret to be content in any and every circumstance. It will free us up to live the gospel instead of just preaching the gospel. Jesus still has in his possession today what the world so desperately needs, what you so desperately need. He has never changed. He has never altered that. We've always needed it, and he's always had it. Paul ends his letter, he says this, he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This, I think, for the, the church that sent this money to Paul would be such an encouragement. Did you know God has even begun to invade Caesar's household? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We're going to spend some time now just in prayer and reflection. And I want to encourage you, don't let these moments pass you by. If there's something in your life that you feel like you have been working towards so much that it has become a master to you, don't let this moment pass you by. Give it up to God. If there's something that you've been searching for, a contentment that you've been looking for everywhere else, Jesus still has what you so desperately need and want. And he is willing now and today to open up his treasury and give it to you. There's nothing that has changed. God is still the same. His promises still stand. That if we would come before him with humble hearts, if we would enter his presence and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, I'm submitting myself to your plans. Lord, I'm tired of doing this on my own. God, I'm hungry. God, I'm tired. God, I'm hurt. God, I have pain. God, my relationships are falling apart. Lord, I need you for a hope. 
The promise of God is that when we come into the presence of the Lord with a humble heart, he meets us there. We come before our Father and he meets us. Jesus says, don't you understand? You are fathers. You know how this works. If your son came to you and said, I'm hungry, would you give him a piece of stone to eat? If your son came to you and said, please feed me, would you give him a snake? No. So if you, being unrighteous people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven who loves you so infinitely, who watches you so closely, how much more is he not willing to open up his treasury and give you what you need for life and fulfillment? And not just to sustain your life, but to give you something so deep, access to something so deep, a river, so that your happiness, your joy, your gladness would not be tied to your circumstances, but it would be sustained through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that that is here today for you? That's a claim that you can make today. That's a promise that stamps for your life today. So don't neglect this moment. Don't move on past this. Don't sit quietly and then leave. Take time now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us in just a a short prayer. And then we're going to have a time here. There's going to be some prayer partners up here if you want to have somebody pray with you. But take time now, whether it's at your seat, whether it's up here at the altar. Don't let this moment go past until you seek the face of God until you find contentment and joy and rest in his presence. So Lord, right now, by the power of your Spirit, come. Come, O Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Jesus, you died once and for all, that all people everywhere can be saved, that we can come into the presence of the Father unashamed, without hesitation, not because we are so worthy, not because we've done so many wonderful things, not because we've earned it at all, but simply because you have provided a path for us to come near to God. Lord, it's only by your grace that we are saved. And so now, God, I pray in the hearts of these people, if there's anything that has been built up against you, God, if there's anything that we have done or any sort of uh, security that we have latched ourselves onto that has become an idol in our lives, that has become a source of us, uh, a source of life for us apart from you. Lord, would you take those things from us? And if that's where you're at right now, if there's something that you have in your mind or there's a feeling that you have that you've been holding something back, that something has been uh, stealing your joy, I want you right now to just repeat this, whether out loud or in your mind. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of holding these things closer than you. Please take them from me. Take them from me, Lord. I want only you. I want you to sustain my life. Give me your peace, Lord. And give me your joy. Lord, would you hear and attend to the prayers of these people here today. And God, as we continue to enter into your presence, as we continue to Uh, worship you with words and with our thoughts and with our actions, we ask that you would come and bring liberation to hearts today. God, let the work go forward even now in this place. So we're going to take some time to pray. Adrian, would you come up on the piano and just play a little bit? Prayer team, you can come forward. Again, this is not the end of our service. I want you to take some time. Take five minutes. Take ten minutes. Take a few minutes 
to just be where you're at, be in the presence of God, and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. I'm going to come up in a few minutes and close this in a prayer, but would you take a few minutes to meet with God now and allow him to work in your life? Lord, it is by your stripes that we are healed. It's through your effort that we are saved. So often I put my power in myself. I forget about the strengthening one. And so, Lord, I ask this morning, God, that you would be the strengthening one for every single person here. If there's someone here among us today who feels broken inside, whether it's in their body or their mind or their soul, I pray that you would come and strengthen them. Lord, do your work. Do your work in hearts today. I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would begin to fill up all the gaps left over from previous relationships. Lord, that there's a heart here today that needs to be healed. There's a wounded heart. And I pray that your spirit would begin to touch, begin to bring healing. Lord, you have in yourself everything that we need. By your presence, let us know the joy of the Lord. Let it go through our whole lives. Let it run like blood through our veins. Let it sustain us. Not a joy that comes from ourselves or our circumstances, but a joy that comes from you, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, we receive that this morning. We just say, I receive that this morning. I receive that this morning, Lord. I receive your joy, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, church, to him who is able, able to keep you from falling and to make you stand in his glorious presence without fault and with much rejoicing, to the one God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority both now and forever. Amen. Amen.